Okay, everybody, welcome back to Talk LD. We're now on to episode seven, and I'm very excited to have another guest this week. We've got Dave Stewart, who's the managing director of the Fresh Air Leadership Company. Um, and he's here to talk about his career adventures and leadership today. So, Dave is the founder and managing director of the Fresh Air Leadership Company, and he's on a mission to help leaders figure out who they are and what it is to lead well in their worlds, and often using the great outdoors. Um, as a tool to support people on this journey um, and Dave has done all kinds of things from um, having a career in a rock band, mountain rescue team, um, ex-special forces um, and a range of exec and non-exec roles in the public, private and not-for-profit sector. So we are really excited to have Dave here and to hear all about your, um, your experiences um, and I have to say when I found out about the Fresh Air Leadership Company I was really excited because I just think what a, a great thing to have using the great outdoors to enhance learning and develop leaders. I just think it's fantastic. And Alex and I are both sort of endurance runners. So we're quite a big fan of the great outdoors ourselves. Um, so Dave, to get us started, tell us a bit about your fascinating career journey. How did you go from a rock band to running? A <laughs> <laughs> so um, um, when in the clock, back a long way I, I was brought up in Aberdeenshire so I had an idyllic sort of rural childhood upbringing but of course a lot of people who live in the country yearn to go to the big smoke in the big city and, and things like your know, rock music was one of the, the big anchors for, for, for growing up uh, so a gang of us you know four or five of us thought well let, let's let's form a rock band um, and um, we, we, we then went gigging around various sort of places in Aberdeenshire. So, um, and uh, we, we did all sorts of covers of things like, you know, Deep Purple, Uriah Heap, Taste, The Rolling Stones, all, all sort of groups that um, are still around, oddly enough, in some shape or form today, or some of them are. Uh, and that was just a fantastic time of uh, learning how to be in a team, which obviously fast forward is kind of what I'm doing just now. Um, but from the rock band, um, um, I thought, well, actually, I need to not just be a, a long-haired layabout. I need to uh, grow up a bit. So, so I was really attracted by the outdoors and um, went hill walking. Then one day, a friend and I thought, well, let's join the mountain rescue team. Mm -hmm. you know, we were both 17, 18 years old, and we were actually quite young to join quite a, a serious outfit like that. So while we were at university, we did five years in, in a mountain rescue team operating in the Cairngorm. So that, that, that's quite hardcore. When I look back now, at what the sort of things we did in blizzards and all the rest of it. I wouldn't, wouldn't do it now, okay? But when you're young, <laughs> you're, you're pretty fearless. Mm. Um, and then from there and university, um, I thought I'd, I'd join the army for three years, you know, university degree, a bit of management experience, then I can go out in the world and do anything I wanted. But um, I joined for three years and I left after 29, which is my kind of little catchphrase. I wish it had been 30 because 29 <laughs> is quite you know, a, an ugly number. Um, <laughs> And uh, I can talk about that in a minute, but from, from, from the military, um, there comes a point in, as you're growing up thinking, well, actually, I need to do something else in my life. And that, that was a point I reached. Um, through my job uh, application, uh, an advert in the Sunday Times, thought I would get rejected, but I would get some learning around the rejection. But actually, I got down-selected and offered the job, um, as it was in the Audit Commission. And um, from there, I then moved into consulting and into the defense electronic sector. Uh, and in parallel, I became a trustee and eventually a chairman of a disabled adults charity and also non-executive director of a community interest health company in Bristol. Uh, and that then paved the way for me doing what I'm doing now, which is uh, the fresh air leadership stuff. So quite an eclectic mix of, of things. 
and uh, lots of learning along the way. Amazing. Yeah, Chris, quite an eclectic mm. um, mix of things. Um, really fascinating, though. Um, and just thinking about sort of all the different things you've said and um, you sort of said you've done. Are there, do you feel like the different things, there's been key themes in each one of them? Whether, like, I know you mentioned being a t in a team. Are there key things that sort of you, skills that you found you were using again and again and again, regardless of where you were? Yeah, I think, I think obviously things only get done in collaboration with other people. So actually teams and relationships are key to everything. Um, and you don't really realise that when you're growing up. I think when I was quite young, I was quite selfish, quite, you know, you know sort of cocky, quite arrogant. But when you, when you get your sort of face slapped a few times because you step out of line and you realise actually the wisdom is the wisdom of teams, you begin to think, well, actually, the next stage of learning is actually how do I collaborate? How do I become part of something rather than being uh, the standout guy that's leading, as it were? So um, that was like a, a moment of revelation. Somebody realised that. Um, so, so relationships, absolutely key. The other thing is, um, is, the, is the theme around everybody isn't like you. You know, there's a whole diversity of mindsets and cultures and backgrounds. And a big mistake you can make as a leader is to think that everybody thinks like you, is as passionate about you as about certain subjects. And you only discover that by real interaction with people and real engagement and getting to know people properly and when you when you touch that sort of diversity your life becomes richer and you have a, a wider perspective on life and become a more effective leader so that, that that's a, a, another key theme the other key theme is is about power politics there's, there's a assumption i think i made as, as a young guy growing up that the the bosses knew what they were talking about that they were wise that they were trained that they were incredible in some way and of course you suddenly realize when you come across a toxic boss or someone who's a complete plonker that actually that 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 rule that assumption that you grew up with is is, is shattered yeah. um and of course that plays into my my current role where i'm trying to help uh, people to become better leaders and you know to be honest most people are trying to do their best um, yeah. And sometimes they just need a nudge or a helping hand or a bit of guidance. And that's, that's kind of where we're coming from. Um, not everyone is toxic. Uh, most people are just trying to do the best they can. So, um, and the other thing, another theme is, 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 is one of fear. A lot of people, um, it's a big weather. A lot of people um, don't know how to ask for help mm. or are somehow fearful of asking for help because their image or their brand in whatever role they have will be dented in some way. Yeah. And again, it's something about growing up, maturing, become a wiser leader, but actually leading by asking questions is actually one of the most powerful ways of, of leading. You know, leading by pretending to be, or thinking you're the guy that knows all the answers is actually quite a fragile position to hold. And being able to ask questions and ask for help is, is a real position of strength. Yeah, it's really powerful that one actually, that fear mm. and asking asking for um, help. I don't know, have you come across Brenny Brown's work at all? Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely fabulous uh, writer and very wise lady. Yeah. She's, she, she's quite kick ass as well, isn't she? She's, oh, she's got a real edge to her, which is brilliant. Um, yeah, I think I referenced her most of these podcasts actually. I think she's brilliant, but I think what I love about her is she really brings that thing of um, sort of about shame and vulnerability and how people that exact thing of what stops people from asking for help is that fear and yeah. that shame and they don't want to be seen um they don't want they don't want to let their armor down but actually yeah. 
what she says is in this day and age that being vulnerable is so important part of, of leadership. Yeah, but, but, but there's a slight pushback to that because <clears throat> the art of being a leader, and I, I call it the art, is actually being so aware in the moment that actually there'll be moments when asking for help and being vulnerable is absolutely the wise thing to do. There are other moments in crisis or emergency where actually you have to maybe just stay in role as the, the wise leader yeah. for just that bit longer to give other people hope and encouragement and give them a, a rallying place. So yeah. it's, it's and, and it talks that point about being, you know, self-awareness is, is the key bedrock, I think, of, of, of actually living, never mind about leadership, mm. but the more self-aware you are, the more you can actually make sense of situations and, and help people yeah 100 percent um i think it's great it's things you've sort of talked about there those themes about team and diversity as well i think that's such a key that's a, the joy i think of working in a team isn't it is if you have that open mind and that self-awareness is learning from other people mm -hmm. yeah and and um diversity works when everyone else is self-aware and is able to offer into that space that they have a different opinion about something and are quite happy to step forward and say i need to be listened to because i have a point of view um and again talks about that back thing about fear if you've got a, a team or a very strong leader where people are, are, tend to be silent or subdued then you're not tapping into the wisdom of the team that mm -hmm. otherwise you could be doing. So diversity only works when people have got the space and safety to step forward and offer their, their point of view. We, we spend quite a lot of time trying to define this concept of, of uh, psychological safety and what, what mm. that actually means, because I think it's quite a, a misunderstood concept because um, if you do that, so, so you do le leading by asking questions is a really lovely way of looking at it. But, what, what, I've, what I've observed is that sometimes you ask the easy questions or questions that will only affirm your point of view. So does everybody agree, for example, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this is the plan. Does everybody agree? Yeah, Whereas yeah. I think there's something about true psychological safety is where you actually invite the criticism. So, you know, tell me how I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, mm. there's, the, yeah, I, mean, I agree. And there's a fantastic model called the, the Cantor four player model, which, which oh. is, is mm -hmm. a fantastic thing to look at, where mm. it's, it's got sort of in any great conversation, there are four voices happening. So if there's only three of you in the team, you, you need to be skillful enough to be able to spot the voice that's missing and play it. So the voices are, first of all, the debating voices. So I have a point of view. And then the opposing person says, I have an opposing point of view. And that's what you get in a debate. And the basic yeah, okay. people just argue yeah. around the points. Yeah. There's, a, there's another dimension, which is about um, inquiry. So the, 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 there's the point uh, that the, the other voice is actually, I hear what you are all saying. And I would like to build on that by adding this, this idea or this point of view. And there's another um, uh, point of view, which is the sort of almost... Uh, coaching point of view which says i'm noticing that you're always you guys are always talking about um subject a when actually if we introduce subject b and subject c we might get to a different space so they're almost observational um mm. points of voices that actually invite inquiry into what's going on mm. so if you have those four voices playing then you you can have a a, a space where people actually have a, a really honest and and deep conversation the other thing about uh, creating psychological uh, safety is, is having enough trust in the room 
where mm. people know that if they offer a, um, a crazy idea or a counter idea, that it, the, the idea will be, will be kicked around and not the person. Yeah. It's, it's almost yeah. like putting, putting the football into the middle of the room and people, mm. uh, the rules are that people can kick hell out of the football, but they're not kicking hell out of the, the person who put the ball in the room. And that, yeah. that's a real definition of, of safety. Yeah, I like that. So it's depersonalizing it, isn't it? Just focusing yeah. on, the, on the idea or a behavior, yeah. not that person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds like to do that, you kind of need probably to start with a skilled, very skilled facilitator to sort of navigate that kind of dynamic. Yeah, well, well we, we've got this great little exercise that we, we, we kick off called 54321 when we have a, a team. And it's all about um, disclosure. And um, if people are prepared to disclose a bit about who they are, then it automatically generates a, an air of increased trust because, mm -hmm. ah, gosh, I didn't know you had that, that issue going on or I didn't know you had that skill. And people st start meeting each other as, uh, as fuller human beings than they had hitherto. And, and just give you a quick insight, the, the, the 54321 is uh, you've got five minutes to pr produce a, a little presentation based on four things that shaped you one per decade especially the first two decades uh, three things that really make you come alive that you're really passionate about two ways to get your attention and one thing you couldn't possibly guess about me okay and almost in that five minute little talk is every psychometric that's ever been invented because suddenly you discover ah the reason you are the way you are is because um you know you've got trust issues around certain personalities or it could be ah you want a spreadsheet you don't want an email or you want you want a hug you don't want a business case you know it's it's it's, it's learning how we communicate with each other mm. and then the one thing you can't um, guess about me is just a, a little hook for people to have those kind of conversations oh my god i didn't know you sported celtic as well you know it's it's slightly trite but those four three two ones give people hooks to actually yeah. discover each other in a different way but then have conversations forever more about about the things that that um, people are st struck by yeah mm. i like that it's almost like it brings out the human in each other yeah. so you yeah. rather than your role your title it's like yeah. actually we're stripped back we're all just human beings yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and 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 you're as human beings we're storytelling animals and we rarely ever get to tell our stories in the workplace we mm. get to behave as per our job spec <clears throat> uh, but we leave ourselves at home, don't we? Yeah. And I think I think it was the CEO of Marks and Spencer who, who said that. You know, she said, "How can I get my people to come to work fully? They leave themselves at home." And it's about uh, you know being being bigger than your job spec. It's about being really human. Yeah. What do you what what impact do you think that has on people? Sort of feeling like they can't bring their full selves to work, and what difference does it make when? you give people your team the permission to come to work that's all that you are mm. um it's a really good question because you if you're not um you're outside looking you think well actually people aren't going to play this 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 game every time we've done it people have almost gushed forward with their stories it's almost like they've been coiled springs waiting to say you know i want to tell you my story i want to <laughs> i want to tell you why i am how i am i need to tell you what my needs are you know, I've got you now listening to me and now I'm going to use this opportunity of you listening to me to tell you my story. Um, and it, it, you know, it really is a, a, people launch into this exercise almost as if to say, oh, you know, for 20 years, 
none of you have known me, but now's my chance. It's quite extraordinarily powerful. Yeah. Um, um, but 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 it's, it's enough, there are different degrees of disclosure. You know, some people mm. will be more open to telling the stories. Other mm. people will be slightly more reticent. I suppose I suppose people yeah. share what they're comfortable to. Mm. Using, I've got what I like about that model is it yeah. doesn't yeah. sort of. It, it, it's quite open, isn't it? You can sort yeah. of. Yeah, you can, you know, you, you can yeah. give what you want, can't you? Yeah. Voluntary, really. How, yeah. how much depth yeah. you, you give. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing about trust and disclosure is that um, you will never get complete trust in a team or an organisation. It's always um, a negotiated space. I think it's only between a mother and a, a newborn child that you get sort of unconditional mm. trust. Mm. But having those kind of engagement exercises, like I've just told you about, just moves the trust needle just a bit more so that the conversations that happen subsequently become slightly more higher quality and slightly more real. And it's all about mm. shifting the dial rather than sort of aiming for a nirvana of, of perfection. Mm -hmm. It's just about those incremental improvements. Yeah, amazing. Mm. And the teams that have done that, do they, when they return to the workplace, do they come back and report um, an impact or higher performance from that, from that opening up? Yeah, they, 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 they universally um, get a lot out of it. And you, the, during the intervention, the, the buzz level goes, goes right up. Yeah. And because they have disclosed and have improved the level of trust, the quality of the meetings uh, there on in are demonstrably uh, richer and better. And they, they report back on that, absolutely. Um, you know, some of them have, have almost uh, referenced the, the, the venue that they had this exercise in as the name of the kind of conversation they need to have. So, for example, we, we did something in Dunblane and a particular bank now says when they have a, want to have a courageous conversation between colleagues, they say, we need to have a Dunblane moment. <laughs> and that just references the fact that actually we now need to be really open and honest with each other because this is about to be a courageous conversation that we need to have. Mm. Really good. Um, really good. I love this. This is such a rich conversation. I feel like hopefully like I hope people will have these little snippets to take away. Um, so thinking about sort of moving forwards a little bit. So thinking obviously you've run um, a kind of leadership school. Uh, what was your first experience of leadership? Oh, great question. I, um, my, wow. My first formal experience I think, must have been way back in school. <laughs> being, being made a made a prefect or um or a, a sixer in, in the cubs or scouts or something like that where you, oh, you, you suddenly um you've been given a, a badge that, that makes you different from everybody else and there's some sort of expectation on you to do stuff um and you know i think all those things that you do at a young age which prepare you for leadership later on are really important um, but of course, there are lots of you do a lot of learning through informal means, don't you? It's, it's when you um, upset someone and you you then suddenly wonder oh, what happened there. That those are really important moments of of learning as well. Um, and uh, you know, living life is a great way of of learning about stuff. Um, and there's it, it, been a few times in in my my time where actually I've had someone a really wise leader who's managed to take me aside and almost treat me in a sort of fatherly way and say dave that was bollocks you know <laughs> no <laughs> being around the bush <laughs> no, dave there was a there was a different way of doing that okay and do you know the effect you had on so and so um 
And so rather than blaming and, and beating me up and sort of marking me down, there was a real genuine desire to lead with compassion and, and, and wisdom. And, and, and I think that's something that's really important today going through all this um, pandemic thing is, is the whole place of compassion and engagement um, mm -hmm. around uh, how leaders and teams are looking after each other. Yeah, hundred percent. I think um, I went on a talk actually by a Buddhist monk on compassionate leadership uh, okay. last year, and it was really I found it quite interesting because when at that point when I think about compassion, I think that that's quite a nice a nice thing. But she made a really good point actually that compassion can also mean the ending of suffering. So sometimes that means that it's making hard decisions. So sort of when you've got someone in an organisation that's you know the person that's really unhappy, making the team unhappy actually sometimes the kindest thing and most compassionate thing to, to everybody is have a conversation about is this the right place for you because you're clearly not happy making the team mm. and unhappy and actually while it may seem quite harsh to say you need to to leave it's actually probably the most compassionate thing because you're ending the suffering for everyone involved yeah. and I thought yeah. that was quite an interesting perspective on it that I hadn't really necessarily thought about because when I think of compassion I think it's that being nice to each other and being kind and caring but actually I was like yeah that's a really valid point that sometimes compassionate leadership involves hard choices i think it's yeah. the same about the misunderstanding of psychological safety that it's it's not about the nice conversation it's about being able to have the tough conversations or put forward that contradictory point of view or belief you know yeah, yeah I, think, I think i think that's a great point because th this whole niceness agenda mm. is is really misleading and yes yes I someone agree. Some of the highest performing teams in the world uh, take Apple or Formula One. There's no niceness happening in there. Yeah. You know, okay. they, they're a bunch of big egos that are incredibly clever who are mm. punching the hell out of those issues to, to create some benefit and movement forward. And, and they mm. understand that that sort of conflict is actually a really creative force. It's that shared purpose, though, isn't it? That kind of sits sits. Um, it's the, that's the unifying thing. Those those big, strong, dominant egos, yeah. but working towards a common goal seems to be yeah. important. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's a great um, phrase around your know, common purpose is kind of what you hope binds us all together, and there's a unity of effort behind achieving that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thin line, isn't it? Because you, you then into the space of actually, ooh, how much of this is groupthink? You know, how much mm -hmm. of this feel, feeling yes. of, of alignment is, is a good thing? Or are we kidding ourselves? And, and that's why, incidentally, it's really important to have sort of think people like non-executive directors or mentors or coaches come into your space and help you spot those blind spots around alignment or, or, or groupthink. It's really important mm -hmm. to have that independent view. Yeah, brilliant. really interesting. Just sort of picking up on that um, conflict, I used to do peace work. And one of the things we talked about was conflict was not necessarily a bad thing, because mm -hmm. actually that's where if you always, all always think the same thing, you're never going to learn. You're never going to see a different perspective. It's how we deal with the conflict that makes the difference. Um, mm -hmm. But we would argue when we were sort of talking is like conflict's not necessarily a bad thing mm -hmm. uh, if dealt with in the right way. There has to be a balance, though, doesn't there? Yeah. Because I'm, you know what you mean about those more um, diverse conversations, but then you have to kind of bring things back so that you make forward progress. So yeah, yeah. it's that, it's the wide conversation, but then there has to come a point where things unify to action. 
otherwise yeah. it's it's you don't get progress and the way we talk about that and what we do is that um if there's enough trust in the room to have a really creative conflict around an issue <clears throat> and everyone is brave enough to contribute to that conversation when you need to then converge on a decision yeah um then everyone should feel satisfied that yes i have made my contribution and I accept that actually the decision of the group is we're going to do something slightly different. But, but the teams that don't have that um, psychological safety or, or, or ability to, to contribute fully will end up with, with um, simmering resentment when, when Johnny hasn't actually stepped forward but feels resentful that his point of view that he hasn't shared <laughs> is, <laughs> isn't taken yeah. forward yeah. And, and it also also talks to the point i was having a conversation with a with a, a senior guy the other day and we we're talking about his team and, and 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 one of the things that came to light was actually well he was a very effective leader his team weren't effective at being in a team and Yes, it's the, the leader's responsibility to create the conditions for, for teamwork, but actually sometimes there's a thing called followership or teamship that, that everyone needs to know that you don't sit there on your hands. You've got to play your part. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, everyone's got to be doing something or contributing. Yeah. It's bringing everyone to be, an, yeah. everyone needs to bring their adult to the room, don't they? Yeah, yeah. You know, we're all, it's that thing of, we're all responsible for ourselves. So if everyone takes responsibility for themselves and their part to play, yeah. but as we know, it doesn't always sort of work and, like that, does it? And, and, and here's the thing, in any organization, almost at any moment, um, teams never get to mature beyond a certain point because suddenly people exit, new people come in, yeah. the departments close down, there's a merger. And the nirvana of having a high performing team is I think something to aspire to um, but with the acknowledgement that you may never get beyond really good or very good. And sometimes that, there's an anxiety about, well, why the hell can't we be a high performing team? Well, there's almost a natural limit in some mm -hmm. circumstances to how good and how great you can become. Mm. Um, so it's just an observation. And, and the other thing about teams is you know, to be a real team takes a lot of effort, a lot of investment. And it's actually a strategic choice because the work that you need to get done might as well just be done by a project group or a project team. The sort of fashion to go for a high performing team can cost a lot of money, anxiety and, and goodwill. So just, I think we, we tell organizations, you know, be careful for what you want because actually, you know, do you need a team? Or mm. could it just be three people having a chat once a fortnight to coordinate things? Maybe it's just mm. a coordinating team. So um, team should be... It's a very interesting point, actually. Because yeah. so often the team has to disperse or you know, if it's a project team, yeah. then they come together for a piece of work and then they adjourn or disperse. Mm. Yeah. Is it, would you need to invest a huge amount in you know, um, you know, creating an optimal, really high-performing team if they're only going to work on one relatively short-term project? Yeah. yeah yeah interesting i think also because we've mentioned talked about agile working as well haven't we during mm. the podcast and that agile thing is all about mm. small small teams and yeah working work like that which seems to be um something that's sort of talked about a lot at the moment is that agile work particularly during 
these COVID times. So I tell you what's interesting though, uh, I'm thinking about the five, four, three, two, one task. Because what I found is that with, with Agile, when sort of work, work, working, you know, kind of training people up to be scrum masters and that sort of thing. So the Agile world is, you know, leading, leading and facilitating small teams. When people do that sort of exercise, um, you know, that's the way you give a bit more of yourself. Uh, what I often hear is, do you know, I've worked with you for 20 years and I didn't know that about you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Close knit little communities, yeah, but yeah. people are so task focused. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And actually being, being task focused is, is probably okay for some, for some circumstances. Yes. You, you don't yes. really need to, 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 to know everybody so well. But for longer term projects like being in an executive team running a business for, for two or three years, perhaps you, you do need to perhaps um, yeah. understand a bit more about each other. I think. I think I think it's where there's succession planning involved as well. So yeah. if you you know you're taking your own longer term view and you're looking for someone who you can hand over the baton to, that's when you really want to know what makes someone's tick, what makes someone's tick. You know, it's um mm. absolutely uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh brilliant. Um so we've covered quite a lot of different things. We're talking about trust, diversity, conflict, compassion. Actually, you know, when you reflect on it, to be a leader in this world, it does seem like it's quite challenging. So I've got a question. What do you believe is, is the key to great leadership at this moment in time? Okay. Um, I think two things. One is, is the compassionate angle, is to, uh, to meet people where they are and understand that, you know, we may all be in the same storm, but we're all in slightly different boats. You know, it mm -hmm. used to be that everyone says we're all in the same boat, but we're not all in the same boat. We're all in, some are in dinghies, some are in big ships, some have got holes in them, and some of them are got engines on them. So, so everyone is experiencing this in a different way. And I think leaders need to understand what that means for motivation, for teamwork, for the size of tasks that people can undertake. So that deep understanding is really important. But at the same time, leaders have got to make sense of the situation and chart a way forward. So it's almost in, in direct opposition to meeting people where they are. But at the same time, you've got to be saying, well, actually, we also need to move forward, guys, into mm -hmm. a place of uncertainty uh, and risk and, you know, more discomfort. So leaders have to have that present and future perspective and have the human skills to make it all right for people to be uh, in pain, but also give them that encouragement and courage to go forward. It's, and, it, and that's why I keep on saying leadership's an art. You, you, you can't mm -hmm. put this on a, on, a, on a PowerPoint slide and say, you know, consume that and, and you'll, be a, you'll be a leader. Yeah, it's, it definitely, when you, when you describe that, that takes a lot of skill, actually. People, sort of, you've got the mix of, knowing about sort of your job, your job, your role, that, but then the, the emotional intelligence to understand your people and the individual difference that comes with that. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's something around um, being able to cope with personal um, loneliness and fear, because when you are in a place like this, you, you don't know how the story is going to end, but somehow you're expected to be the guy that's, that writes the next chapter. And... Um, you know, the, the, there are the, those old gulp moments where you step forward and you're not sure whether there's a firm ground or a, a hole in front of you. So there's a degree of courage uh, and conviction about 
being a leader, but also having your own network of people who you can plug into. And I think the leaders who are lonely and unnetworked at this moment in time are really struggling um, and need a lot of care. Whereas those uh, leaders who are well networked and have friends and family and community, but also professional networks around them, I've got a whole bunch of resilience that other people might not have. Mm, no, definitely. Definitely the power, power in, um, in sort of having your own support. I think network. that these I think there's a great time at the moment for these sorts of ideas around communities of practice and that mm. sort of thing, which, you know, um, but particularly with the, the virtual, you know, everyone becoming more comfortable with virtual working. So it doesn't really matter where you are in the country that actually you can, you know, uh, build these collaborative learning networks um, mm. using Zoom and that sort of thing. Mm. I think there's a re I think I think um, now is the time, actually, you know, mm. I. I've got a supervisor who 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 I work with, and and um, that's been a similar thing. It's, it's that sounding board has been invaluable, um, transforming. You know, tr it's trying to survive in you know over the last few months, it's made a very significant difference having mm. that um, that professional network. Yeah, it's, it's paradoxical, isn't it? We we we're sort of more and more separated physically, but more and more connected virtually. Yeah, yeah. You know, the opp I've, opportunities yeah. are immense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had more meetings each week than I've ever had when, yeah. <laughs> when lockdown wasn't wasn't in place. That's uh, mad, isn't it? So, yeah. so, so it runs a little bit contrary, you know, to the Fresh Air Leadership Company. So, yeah. could you just tell us a little bit about how your business works? And, okay, so, so, so essentially, we, we are, you know, as Louise has said at the beginning, we 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 want to help leaders understand who they are and what it is to lead well in their worlds. And of course, mm. that talks to the fact that everyone's context is slightly different. Um, but our vehicle for exploring those kind of two essential questions are um, through inquiry, a process of inquiry, but face to face, because mm. we are more than a, a screen, and yeah. and mm. the. Um, there's a real yearning for human reconnection and lockdown has, has sort of reinforced that. Um, so, so it's about bringing people together. Um, it's going through a process of inquiry and we use um, amazing landscapes as a, ah, as a, right. as a space in which to conduct mm -hmm. our, our practice. And, and the reason we do that is, that, and, and we use um, extraordinary people as our facilitators. So, mm. um, murder detectives, um, improvisation performers, Everest summiteers, special forces, hospital consultants, people who come from high consequence backgrounds. And we have this mm. kind of formula of, of people, place and process. And we, we find that as a really powerful way of, of shifting heads, hearts and minds. Mm. Uh, and when we put those three things together, we, we, we create a, a really stimuli rich environment for participant gets something from it because not everyone gets the metaphor of say landscape but those people might really connect with a conversation with someone that they've never met before from a completely different world so we're almost giving them a smorgasbord of stimuli and they just mm -hmm. you know step up the table and, and take the thing they need that's going to going to shift their, their mindset um, but in terms of how does that business work just now well clearly it, it sort of doesn't 
Mm. And, and and we've resisted the temptation to go online because you right. we are we are deeply experiential and online mm. gives you only part of that. Yeah, sure. But but where our business model will I think come into play is this business about people yearning for the important conversations after lockdown. Mm. And and already we're beginning to see people coming forward and saying, Look, can we can we just spend a day with you guys and just make sense of what's going on mm. and then work our work our steps forward. And, and whereabouts geographically do you operate? So we, we, we work around the UK, but, but, yeah. but, we, but we lead, our, our lead story is around amazing spaces in Scotland. Um, right, right. And um, that's because, you know, I'm passionate about my home country and yes. Scotland is actually full of amazing places. Mm. Um, mm. And, we, you know, we, we, we love to invite people from the south to you know, jump on a train or, or whatever. And, and it's, you know, we're not very far north from you guys, you know, just, just come up here and we'll show you some <laughs> tremendous <Yeah>. places. <laughs> I that. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. But, but to answer your question, uh, we, we, we work around the UK. So we've worked mm. in the, the Brecon Beacons, the Lake District, ah, Peak District uh, yeah. the South Downs, the Malverns, the Chilterns, all those places. Nice. Yeah, yeah. But Scot- Scotland's clearly your preference for well, it, it, lands- it, it, the landscape. Yeah. Yes. And, and it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a grandeur around some of the spaces that actually are, are truly mind shifting. It's, mm. it's not just the tourist view of Scotland. It is, you know, there are some places in Scotland which are not just filled with landscape, but they're filled with, with uh, um, long past, but also recent history. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a landscape full of stories. And that's the inspiring part for, for a lot of people. Yeah. It's interesting. And do you, yeah. So, so do you think then that, that, that kind of engaging with nature in those landscapes is a important part of, I suppose that sort of, evolution or um, transformation as somebody becomes a leader um yes and no um some people will, will look at a landscape and be be terrified by it mm. um some people will look at landscape and be completely unmoved by it mm. some people will look at a landscape and will come up with things like you know we must go and do some forest bathing or we must um light a fire and, um, you know, and, and get into sort of ancient civilization type practices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and the point is, you know, we, we, as human beings, we are, we are socially constructing our environment. Um, mm. And um, the beauty of the landscape has only become a, a thing since Wordsworth started writing poetry in, in, in mm. the, the Romantic Age, you know, about 150, 200 years ago. Um, but, but for some people, landscape is, is a truly transformational experience because it maybe gives them a sense of perspective that they're a small person in, in a huge space. Mm. Um, other people just love um, the changes in biochemistry that happen when they breathe fresh air and mm. move through landscapes. And that change in, in, in biochemistry just allows them to be open to um, yeah. more divergent thoughts. Right. So, Interesting. So, the, so, so the whole outdoors bit is, it means many things to many people. Uh, and we present the outdoors in a way that allows different people to plug into the landscape in, in the way that suits them the most. Yeah. 
I would just say we, we've taken groups into the um, York's Dales for uh, mm. training and yeah. um, we've we've had you know a bit of help from suitably qualified outdoor instructors but we've done yeah, some yeah. of the softer skills yeah. um, but that, that I think those are the training courses that people remember for the rest of their lives actually much more so than you know so, so again I'm just thinking about that transformation um, mm. the people that I speak to you know that um, who've done those courses always talk about them you know mm. and uh, they seem to leave a mark which uh, you know which, which seems to be more profound than anything you can get to in the indoors environment yes and yeah. and uh, you know if you reference something like either gestalt or nlp there are those moments that are are anchored or grounded because they were maybe in the middle of a rainstorm or they mm. turned a corner and saw a beautiful view or mm. they got to the top of a mountain and those moments are, are grounded in their their, their embodied memory um, which is quite different from saying, you know, we went to a great workshop and hotel conference suite and we put up yeah. some fantastic yellow <laughs> stickies, you know. Yes, <laughs> um, yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, mean, I mean, those can be very productive. I'm not doing them down, but actually they, they, when you've done 10 of those over a career of 20, 30 years, you, you can't remember which one was which mm. one, can you? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, one yeah. hotel training room is much the same as another. <laughs> but, yeah. But, yeah. But, mm. yeah. I think, I mean, I don't know about you, but I find when I'm in the great outdoors, it makes me be much more present than I would normally. And I think that has an impact, doesn't it? When you're there, it, it, it kind of helps, I find it filters out other stuff that are going on around you. So then you can be truly with your team or truly on the task, mm. if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, yeah. It's restorative as well. Yeah. Yes. You know, it, it's, 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 it's incredibly good. I think it seems to, you know, it boosts your energy levels and you come back, you come down off the hill feeling a lot better than when yeah. you went up, perhaps. Yeah, yeah there's, 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 there's some sort of um, neuroscience behind that because we, we've got two attention systems. One is, is directed attention, which is the attention you normally apply to a cognitive task. And then there's sort of um, your undirected attention when you're walking through a landscape and you're sort of aware of, of stuff in your periphery um, and your task is simply to breathe and walk um, mm. you, you that whole directed part of your attention that you use on cognitive task can fill up really quickly and, and you become burnt out and overloaded whereas the undirected attention you've almost got a, a, a sort of a reservoir that doesn't that doesn't get uh, emptied you know yeah yeah interesting i think probably also part of it as a team is we've mentioned it a couple of times about storytelling um you know when you're when you're up in the hills you're probably going to have far more stories and more powerful memories than yep. if you're just in another hotel and yep. i think that is <clears throat> sounds like that's really important part of that whole team process is actually we went and had this experience together that was quite a unique experience which yep. is probably where people talk about it for quite a long time yeah because they've made a memory yeah, and, and, and the things we offer <clears throat> cater for people who want that sort of gentle transformation, which is we're going to go and we're going to walk and we're going to talk about this theme and we're going to have some facilitators and we'll, we'll get some new insights. So that's one, <clears throat> um, if you like, uh, part of what we do. And then the other part of what we do is, is around simulations where the, if there's a slightly higher tempo of, of, of stuff. It's about um, getting specific lessons around communications and <clears throat> learning something new for the first time and that is very productive for certain clients who who need a certain type of outcome so i think louisa we've talked before about we we run a, a 
a sort of a, a rapid induction program as a mountain rescue team for some leadership teams. And they, they work with a real mountain rescue team. They learn a whole bunch of skills. They fly drones. They've got digital command centers. They learn how to do triage and deal with trauma. And then they get called out and they have to work out yeah. your, how much information do we need to create a plan? How much of a plan do we need to actually deploy? And when we deploy, what are the changes that we have to cope with? And when we get to the casualty, how do we how do we assess the casualty and how do we treat them? So there's lots and lots of um, um, communication and change management and teamwork things in there. Um, but it's, but that's very appropriate for certain clients. Other clients need a more creative and less hurried and more spacey type of intervention. And of course, that cycles right back to the business so that when you work with people, you need to spend time before any intervention, just understanding what you're working with, what people's needs are, what their anxieties, what their limitations are, and then you exquisitely design the thing that they need. It's not just a, mm. let's go off on a training course uh, that's no. taken off the shelf. It's, it's, it's quite different. It's mm. different every time. Yeah. 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 Um, thinking sort of about the outdoor space, what do you think or how do you think companies could use the outdoors more for their teams? Oh, well, um, first of all, they should. Okay. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's really, really, it's a great question because the outdoors can seem to be um, a really big obstacle for, for, for a lot of people. Um, so how they can use them is actually why not take one or two of your meetings every week and just go into the local park and have a walking meeting. Okay. So that, that's a very low cost, low risk, very easy thing to do. Although it seems that the gravitational pull of the office space is so strong that even that can be quite difficult. Um, but that's a real kind of starter level thing. Just, just go outside and, and talk and walk and talk. Um, the other thing we, we suggest to people says, look, okay, you're not ready to go to Scotland and do whatever. Well, why don't we um, go somewhere quite close by? It could be a hotel and let's find a place that's, that's, that's got a nice indoor space, but has immediate access to uh, parkland or grounds. So we can have an indoors, outdoors sort of workshop. The next level is actually let's spend all day out on a walk shop and maybe have a pub lunch in the middle. So there's a bit of reward, but there's also real discussion about real topics. And then the next stage in the ladder is, well, why don't you go off and have a retreat or what we call a decelerator, go off site for two or three days and have a proper, properly facilitated um, um, you know, experience around some topics. Uh, and then you, you can then go on to then treks and then you can then go on to simulations with mountain rescue teams. But there is a, 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 there's a real ladder of engaging with out, outdoors, but, but at, at its very easiest, just take the meeting you're about to have and just go, go outside and walk and talk your way through the agenda. You know, it's dead easy. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's brilliant. And like you said, it yeah. doesn't need to be complicated. Um, no, no. In my past role, I worked for a holiday park company and we were really lucky that we, we had these holiday parks in like Snowdonia and Anglesey yeah, and Northumberland. Yeah. And I'd often, um, when I was doing coaching, I'd say, let's go walk and talk on the beach. And the quality of conversation was always so much better than if we were yeah. sat down in an office yeah. because... Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's the space that you're in. And I think there's also something, I don't know about your thoughts, but when someone's moving, yeah. 
I think it's less threatening sometimes to have that yeah, conversation. Yeah. The, 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 you, there's all, your biochemistry changes uh, in a more benign way. The other thing is when you're walking alongside someone, you, you're not looking into their eyes. Like, like mm -hmm. we're, we're looking into our eyes just now. If we were at a conference table, we'd be looking into our eyes. And that, that's really quite, um, for some people, that can be quite, quite anxious and, and quite tiring. But if you're walking in parallel and both looking into the distance, you, you, you develop a sort of unconscious sense of perspective as well without the threatening looking into each other's eyes. Mm. Um, and I think that's why you know, in the old days, the, the, you know, people used to have their important business meetings on the golf course, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yes, the golf course. It's funny, isn't it? That's right, because yeah. is it, it's that environment that just invites a more informal discussion. So you sort yeah. of get to know each other mm. rather, than, rather than just talk on the task. Yeah. Um, so I've got sort of a final question for you, Dave, because yeah, where we've been yeah. having you chatting for a while. Um, which leader has inspired you and why? Oh, right. Okay. Um, um, I've met lots of really fabulous leaders and, and quite a few um, unfabulous ones. But, but <laughs> one, one fabulous leader was a lady who ran a, um, a charity. And what was fabulous about her was that she was absolutely passionately driven to do the best possible job for the charity which was a disabled adults charity and she was tenacious nothing was going to be an obstacle if there was an obstacle she'd go left right over under or or ignore it and she would you know fight for money um, fight for resources uh, in the service of 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 the disabled uh, clients um, and you know, she had that charisma that comes from from that burning light that, that's within, and you know, she was compassionate in her leadership. She would she would understand that, that she had to have people around her to help her run the charity as it got bigger, and that she would she would select them based on their compassion and and um, you know heart driven motivation to do a good job as well. So I think her tenacity, her, her warm heartedness, her uh, bloody mindedness and tenacity and, and compassion were, were really um, big, impressive inspirations for me. Yeah, really, really, they, they really sung to me. I enjoy that. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Like that. mm. She sounds. She sounds like um, an amazing woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Dave. No. Alex, have you got any more questions? Uh, it's been it's been really fascinating to listen to you, Dave. Thank you very much. And I think we've only really scratched the surface. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I you think know. we could just sit here and talk for hours. Yeah. Yeah. Let's all go for a walk. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In fact, Alex, we should go to Scotland and I, well, go explore the Highlands of your Although I do I'm get up there. Yeah. Although I'm slightly terrified because you guys are ultra runners and um, I'm 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 not. <laughs> oh, I did. I did. I think we're a bit out of practice because of um yeah. of lot of lockdown. But uh, we are. Ultra, I, ult, we'd be ultra shufflers. At the, yeah, <laughs> I have got my eye on some things for next year. Alex has got yeah. a big challenge next year, haven't you, Alex? Oh yes. Uh, yeah, the hard moors runs. Yeah, so I do the hard moors runs. Um, oh. I've got the, the 110 next year in wow. may well i say i do i, I hope i do if i don't yeah, sprain yeah, an yeah. ankle or nobble myself yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> you'll do it alex you'll do yeah. it yeah well, good luck to you both it's uh i, yeah. I did the caramel mountain marathon when it oh, sort wow. of first came out and uh, oh yeah uh, yeah kim but, uh, kim kim, yeah. kim yeah. that's yeah. right kim. yeah so, very yeah. good yeah, amazing yeah. amazing so, so
So, so Dave, just just what what does the next next couple of months have in store for you then? So, what are your what are, what what are your next sort of adventures? Yeah. So, um, what what we're doing is we're running a number of um, uh, recce's for for new uh, trek routes and new decelerators for next year. So, we 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 assume that we are not really going to generate revenue until spring next year. So that's right. our aiming mark. Mm. And <clears throat> I. I I came up with the thought that I'm doing these recce's anyway, so why don't I just go on LinkedIn and open them up to everybody in the network and say, if any of my target market would like to come along, you know, just cover your own costs. Let, let's mm. have time. So, so that that's that's right. take, taken off quite nicely. So the next couple of months is is doing a number of recce's of of um, three day trekking routes. But we call it walking Wi-Fi and wine because it's a it's a hotel hopping trek. It's not ah, a, it's yes. not it's not bear grills. It's not sort of yomping. It's not it's <laughs> not, not like or, yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah, it, it's a, yeah. Interesting enough, if, if yeah. people get eight hours um, disconnected from digital means, that that's that's pretty good. And then yeah. they can connect back up at night and yeah. Uh, yeah. You're, they can satisfy the desires, you know, you know, being on Facebook or, or chatting to folks, et cetera. But uh, mm. yeah, so, so walking Wi-Fi and wine is, is the sort of right. anecdotal yeah, style of our treks. And so that's open to people that people can get in touch with you and um, absolutely. Yeah. And I come mean, and join in. I mean, specifically we're, we're keen to hear from CEOs, heads of HR, yeah. heads of L&D, or anyone mm. who has a responsibility in an organization for leadership development. Yes. So the, the people that really we, we need, to, need to engage with. Right, mm. very good. And how can mm. people get hold of you, Dave? Where can they find out more about um, okay. well, the organization? The, the, if, they, if they sort of uh, web, you know, check on the website, so it's, it's the, the fresher, so it's fresherleadership.com. Yeah. Um, and... Um, uh, 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 Instagram at Fresh Air Lead Co. And of course, that's the same for, for Twitter and Facebook, yeah. being owned by the same company. So those are four platforms you can find us at. And if you want an email, it's dave at freshairleadership.com. Brilliant. Very thank good. You. Thank yeah. you very much, Dave. We'll also share, um, sort of share the, the tags when we, we share the podcasts yeah, yeah. as well. Um, so there's easy route to find Dave and go up, go up for, you know, perfect. August, August. Get, get yourself out walking. Well, you what you might Scotland's, learn and who you might meet. <laughs> Scotland's very nice in September and October as well, usually. You're right, because the, the, yeah. the, 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 the tourists and the midges have gone. And, yes. The other great time is April, May, because you've got winter on the tops and spring mm. in the glens. And it's just, yeah. uh, you know, the whites and the, and the greens mm. and the, the blue sky. It's absolutely That's cracking. Absolutely yeah. epic. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm. Listen, yeah. Right. I mean, um, thank you very much for, for inviting me on, Louise. And, uh, you know, it's been great to meet you both. And, uh, no, it's, you know, thank you for the for the um, exposure, as it were. Thank well, you, Dave. Thank you. No, it's lovely, it's really been, lovely to meet you. Yeah, been an absolute pleasure, and we hope our listeners have enjoyed it. Um, so, thank you very much, everybody. Mm.